0: School is in session with basketball you welcome to your study time for the world of college hoops now here are your professors tyler rocky and shane Orley on espn 1000
1: weekend of college hoops that we've got going on in the NCAA tournament. It always delivers. It always does. It's never, never disappointed, the NCAA tournament. Tyler Rocky, Shay Norling, Basketball U, with you every single Sunday throughout the NCAA tournament, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on ESPN 1000. And uh, we were wrapping up, filling in for Bleck and Abdallah on Friday, Shay, and we, we were glancing at the TV, just kind of keeping tabs, seeing what was happening. And all of a sudden, we saw Fairleigh Dickinson not only had a lead, but it was getting late as well. And it looked like there was a point in the game where Purdue, I think they got up like five and were like, all right, this is over. Nice, cute little story, a little scare for Purdue. And they're going to move on to the second round, but not so fast. Back come the Knights and all of a sudden you've got yourself the biggest upset in tournament history with a 16th seeded Fairleigh Dickinson team taking down Purdue over on Friday. And you just couldn't believe it. You couldn't believe it that the fact that this Fairleigh Dickinson team, should not have even been in the tournament to begin with, and now they're playing a second game here in March. It's the ultimate Cinderella.
2: The fact that they lost the NAC title game to Merrimack, a team that is completing a transition to Division One, and for some ridiculous reason, because the NCAA comes up with random things, is not eligible to go to the tournament despite winning their conference, which would be the automatic qualifier. Fairleigh Dickinson gets to make the trip by default. That's the ultimate Cinderella story when you then go as... The smallest team in Division One basketball mm-hmm. up against Zach Eady, and you win outright. Not just, like, covering what was one of the largest spreads of the season, but winning outright as a 23-and-a-half-point dog. You got a little bit of action on that, didn't you? I, got, I caught him at halftime, 9-to-1, outright winner. I just—couldn't you kind of feel it? Like, even in the second half when Purdue got that five-point lead and we kind of thought, oh, the fun's over— You still kind of felt like if there's any team that could blow this, it's Matt
1: Painter and Purdue. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they certainly did. And you look at just the craziness, some of the upsets. right, We we talked a little bit about Princeton. Princeton is on to the Sweet 16, a a 15 seed uh, out of the Ivy League there. We've got Arkansas taking down Kansas. So now we've got a pair of one seeds done for the tournament. It's not even Sunday yet. And it's the fourth time since 2000 that two one-seeds have not made the second weekend. First time since 2018, which coincidentally was also the year we saw a one lose to a 16 when Virginia fell to UMBC. So you're just seeing the chaos bear its head once again in this tournament. And you look at kind of, I don't want to say that there's a, a formula to it, but like you could kind of see... That the potential for a, a team like Kansas to lose in that second round game like Arkansas is a fantastic team this year. Yeah, that just is starting to get healthier here as we get later on into the season. Nick Smith's back um, with that team. He's a guy who probably could be a lottery pick this upcoming NBA draft. You've also got Purdue who. All right. If they didn't lose on Friday, I think both you and I would be pretty confident saying they were going to lose today. Against Florida Atlantic. Well, I think this
2: especially this tournament felt like one where the middle of the pack felt much higher in terms of skill level mm-hmm. than in past years. You and I talked about in our podcast bracket special mm-hmm. earlier this week, which now feels like a decade ago. Yeah, uh, Houston against Auburn, where Houston won last night, but it looked dangerous at times. We said. Houston going up against Auburn is probably their best point to slip up. Like, yeah, that's going to be a home game for Auburn. That's going to be the best. It's a sneaky good Auburn team out of a sneaky good SEC. That was going to be Houston's best chance to slip up. I didn't have Kansas going very far. I thought UConn and the Sweet Sixteen would be their best chance. Turns out they went out even earlier. It felt to me some of the ones outside of Alabama had really difficult paths. I think that was true of some of the twos. Like Marquette, I think, is a very low-level two-seed any other year. You and I kind of in agreement that yeah. they're not as good as people seem to think, number six of the nation. But uh, just just now getting into the top ten in Kempom, not exactly the most high-level
1: two-seed we've ever seen. Well, here's what I'll say about Marquette as a two-seed. I think they are a fantastic team. I just don't think Shaka Smart is a good coach in March. I mean, he got his first tournament win in a decade against a 15 seeded Vermont team. That's his first tournament. Like every, there's this notion of Shaka Smart. Oh, oh, great March coach, right? He's fantastic. He, he took VCU to the final four. That's it. That's where the success ends with Shaka Smart. It starts and ends with that run. He's made this career off of a heater there. And now he's got a chance to to kind of rewrite the narrative around his career today because he's got a chance to bring another team to the Final Four. And then maybe he can revamp and rewrite his reputation as a coach in March.
2: So I think the point we're making is, when you look around this tournament, you've got two ones gone. You've got a two gone. You've got one of the Blue Bloods and Duke gone. Mm -hmm. You've got some Darling Picks gone. Like, this, the chaos is kind of reigning. Tyler, it's at a point where, and we talked about this bet that I made with Stu upstairs, where I have the one through three seeds, and he has four to everyone else. I'm getting worried. I'm down two ones already. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm getting a little concerned. Could this be... A different kind of tournament where, for I think the fourth or fifth time since the 80s, we see a four or five or six seed win it.
1: I'm trying to think of the team still standing. Like, you could see a Kentucky win it. You could see UConn as UConn. a four. So, I mean, they, they've been playing some really good basketball. Um, yeah, like with the amount of ones and twos that are already knocked off the board, like, it's certainly possible. Yeah, I could see. You losing that bet with Stu. I really could. It's, it's just, it's been How, such a like, chaotic turning. What's the what's your panic level on that bet?
2: I would say I'm at a six. You're a six. I'm not feeling good. Like Houston and Alabama, I'm feeling good about. But if you look at Kempom, UConn is number four in Kempom and it's somehow a four seed. Yeah. Like they're a team that should be in the final four, that should be contending for a national championship, but they're a four seed. So I would say at this point, I am hitting the panic button. Like, I think one of these lower seeded teams could actually go out and win a national championship. Tyler, let me ask you this. Of all the surprises this weekend, of all the, th- like, two ones going down, Arizona losing to Princeton, mm-hmm. is anything more surprising than Rick Barnes banking the second weekend?
1: <laughs> you know, we had, uh, we had Tennessee as a dead team walking, but. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. It might not be dead. Like, I thought there were going to be major problems with this Tennessee team because you lose your point guard to an ACL injury right before the the start of the tournament and and during the SEC tournament. And I thought, uh oh, this is it for Tennessee. This is it. You lose your point guard at the most inopportune time. But they've gone, they've been fantastic defensively. Absolutely fantastic. Now, they did get into a little bit of a, a wrestling match yesterday against Duke, but. Hey, if they're not going to call some of these fouls and it works to your advantage, then I mean, keep going with I, it because they're they're playing some extremely extremely good defensive connected basketball on that end. And they didn't just beat Duke. They ran
2: Duke out of the gym at the end yes. of that game, mm-hmm. which and that's a Duke team you and I have talked about a lot, playing much better lately. Mm-hmm. I think both of us thought they were final four caliber. They got aced out of that gym by Tennessee. That's a team now that I look at. They've taken the number one defensive team away from UCLA. They are now the number one in adjusted
1: defense per Kempom.
2: Could they go to the final four? Like Rick Barnes making the second weekend.
1: All bets are off. Yeah, and you've already got the one seed knocked out of that region as well. Like there's a lot. uh, That region certainly could have an unpopular pick come out and go to the Final Four there. I think it's certainly in the cards there. What Tennessee's done has been super impressive to me so far. But that region in general is going to be, and I thought from the start, it was going to be the most intriguing one. It has been the most intriguing one. Maybe not in the way that I thought it was going to be, but the way that it certainly shook out so far with Tennessee making this run, I mean, Rick Barnes getting to that second weekend is something that both you and I did not see coming and good good for Tennessee because they are proving a lot of people wrong with this run that they're on without their point guard who is so so vital to not just kind of controlling it and keeping that team uh, calm and composed but defensively he's one of their best players the Kai Ziegler even though he's only a 5 foot 9 guard like he is not it, it reminds me a little bit of Kihei Clark Clarkin well, we have to have a conversation about Kihei Clark's decision-making as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, you see some of these just dumb plays that a lot of point guards have made. Like, Kihei Clark made one. Uh, Kendrick Davis made one for, for Memphis the other day as well. But without that on this team, and, and somehow Tennessee is still looking like a, a composed basketball team. Yeah, it's unbelievable, really, what Rick Barnes was able to do uh
2: as a dog yesterday against Duke, too, to be able to run that team out of the gym. And then going back to the 2-1 seeds that have been knocked out, we've talked a little bit about perdo mm-hmm. We haven't talked as much about Kansas. You mentioned to me pre-show. Why doesn't this feel like a surprise? Is, is so much of it just because Bill Self wasn't on the sideline that you almost are like
1: they're expected to underperform? I I don't know if it was. Yeah, yeah like the, I mean, the Bill Self stuff certainly hurts. I don't think they blow the lead like they did yesterday if Bill Self is on that sideline. But I also think that, I mean, Arkan, Like, let's just tip our hat. Like Arkansas was a team, a team that at the beginning of the season, if you picked them to go to the Final Four, no one would have really batted an eye. They're a talented team. Eric Musselman has had, like Eric, Mo- there's a couple coaches that have had quiet tournament success of getting deep in the tournament and making some of these runs. Now, part of it is the the path that some of them have been getting, given to, to get to some of these. But, like, last year, Eric Musselman took down Gonzaga. Um, Eric Musselman has done, a, and he doesn't have the final four to, to speak for, it, but he's done a fantastic job of advancing in the tournament and getting to elite eights. Like, he's that type of coach, and he certainly could do it again this year. He's in prime position, and he's already taken out a one seed. Yeah, and I think that's, like,
2: people don't talk enough about Eric Musselman as one of the better coaches in this sport, but I think you're seeing it now, and it it is unfortunate for Kansas not having Bill Self on that sideline with the medical issues, Mm -hmm. because I think you're right. They had that lead late. It felt like they were starting to pull away. Uh, Kansas with Bill Self, they're not going to blow that lead, but you do look at Eric Musselman, each of the last two seasons made the Elite Eight. Feels poised to do it now. We'll see who they end up playing. I mean, UConn's as tough a draw as it gets. But this is an Arkansas team, which again goes back to the chaos in this tournament and the lower seeds playing up. You can't count anybody out at this point. Like we, no. we can talk about who the favorites are with the yeah. teams that are left and who we know will make the Sweet Sixteen and where we should be looking. But I'm not ready to count anybody out of this tournament.
1: I, I look at Arkansas. I'm looking right now at how they closed the season. They lost four of five heading into the NCAA tournament. But here are the losses on the road at Alabama: three point loss. They got blown out on the road by Tennessee when Tennessee was at full strength. And then they lost at home to a surging Kentucky team. They beat Auburn in the first game in the SEC tournament, and then they lose to Texas A&M, who made it to the SEC championship there. So like those are four quality losses to close out the year. And I get you'd probably want to pick off one or two of those to really feel good about your chances, but Arkansas kind of showing that the conference championship weeks don't necessarily translate into success in the NCAA tournament. All right, when we come back, I do want to sort through who should be the new favorites. Who are your confident sort of tiers of teams that you feel like can actually still win this thing? Tyler Rocky and Shane Norling. It's Basketball You here on ESPN 1000.
3: This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago.
0: This is basketball you
3: this is chicago's home for sports espn chicago on fm 100.3 hd2 the espn chicago app and espn 1000
1: Here on ESPN 1000, Tyler Rocky and Shay Norling. We're with you every single Sunday throughout the NCAA tournament. Talking all things college hoops with you are already underway for day two. We've got Xavier and Pitt deadlocked at nine apiece right now. We'll keep our eye on that. And then at 140 today, you get Kentucky and Kansas State. We were talking about this uh, upstairs when we were planning out the show today. There are some great games today. Like there were, there were some, at least matchup-wise, some stuff that didn't look great yesterday. But it ended up being a fantastic day of college basketball because that's just what this tournament does every single year. But I mean, today I'm intrigued by pretty much every single one of these games in some fashion or another. And I think partially because we have some fantastic five-four-six-three matchups. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of teams that pulled off upsets that are playing today. It's Pitt. And it's Fairleigh Dickinson, and everything else was kind of—I mean, like technically, Florida Atlantic pulled an upset, but that was that game was a coin flip game. No team really that was favored by by more than three points lost. Well, and that's that was playing today.
2: The one low seed game is Fairleigh Dickinson and Florida Atlantic playing each other. Like, there's no. Uh, there's only one team higher than a three seed playing today. That's Marquette. But like you said, all of these matchups, TCU Gonzaga, the 6-3, the 5-4 Miami Indiana's awesome. Uh, we've got all the 6-3s really. Creighton Baylor mm-hmm. and Kentucky.
1: The 6-3 slate today is awesome. It's fantastic. Kentucky, Kansas TCU Gonzaga to close us out, take us home. Like that, that's good basketball right there. Yeah. And Kentucky, Kansas State, it's, it's a team,
2: Kansas State, a lot of people maybe haven't watched, but it's a team that played very well in a strong big 12 Mm -hmm. all season against a blue blood that's playing like it right now and then you have my watch of the day is Izzo and Shaka Smart two guys who have struggled to make the second weekend recently playing to make the second weekend playing for a we got a banner game here and Shaka Smart giving points to Tom
1: Izzo in March who would have thought yeah Seriously, 3123323776 if you want to jump on into the college hoops conversation, what have you liked so far in this year's NCAA tournament? All right. So, we have the these are the latest odds to cut down the nets in Houston. Um, These are according to FanDuel. Right now, you've got Alabama as your favorite at plus 350, Houston at plus 400, UCLA plus 700, Texas at plus 950. Now, all of those teams are already through to the second weekend. That is worth noting there. And and this is where you can sometimes get yourself a little value on the future plays, too, is the team where you're in between rounds and one team is already through to the second weekend, but another team still has one more to go. Now, obviously they've got to win an extra game if they want to make it to that sweet 16 round, but you can find yourself some value. If you're confident that a team can get to the final four or national championship. Um, and that's where we find UConn right now at 13 to one, a team that both you and I like to get to the final four. Now their matchup would be a tough one. If things kind of bear its way out, it would be in all likelihood against Houston. Um, but, and they probably would have to run through UCLA at some point too, but this is a UConn team that they were dominant in their opening round win against Iona, struggled a little bit in the first half, but they kicked it together with a fantastic second half, and they're at 13-1 to right now, that might be some pretty good value for you on the board gonzaga 17 to 1 marquette tennessee also 17 to 1 and then your 20 to 1s you've got creighton and baylor but what is catching your eye right now from the futures market for the national champion
2: well, i think the one you mentioned uconn does stick out to me at 13 to 1 because if they managed to win today against st mary's i think they would have better odds than texas i think you'd see a better shot than nine to one i think If you want to take UConn, you take them now. And then I think you get a little deeper into the odds. Like Marquette, 17-1 to is intriguing. Um, Michigan State, 50-1 to is a little interesting to Mm -hmm. me if they pull off a win today. I know I said dead team walking. But if they pull off a win today, that's just classic Tom Izzo taking one of his worst teams Mm -hmm. to another Sweet 16. Probably maybe another Final Four get on the doorstep of it, at least with an Elite Eight. And then something else that stuck out to me just now and I want to pick your brain about while I'm looking through everything is, as it stands, to win uh, the East Region, Tennessee is the favorite mm-hmm. at plus 185. So to make the Final Four, obviously Tennessee already has mm-hmm. already made it to the Sweet 16. You can get Marquette plus 320. If Marquette wins today, they will be the favorite. So if you want yes. if you think Marquette's making the final four and you want to get a little action on it, now's the time at plus 320. Yeah,
1: that's that's a good little tip right there. So here's where here's something that I find a little bit interesting. Alabama is the current favorite right now, even though entering into the tournament, Houston was the favorite across the the betting board. Houston at plus 400, Alabama at plus 350 right now. Should Alabama be the odds-on favorite to win the national title right now? I think so. They've, they've won in blowout fashion mm-hmm. in
2: both of their games. They scored 96 points in the first game. Brandon and Miller they, didn't even play well either. He, he didn't score a point. And then they beat uh, Maryland last night by 22, and he only scored 19. Like They haven't been leaning on their best player. As much as they had throughout the regular season, he didn't play well again. Three of 11 uh, shooting from two-point range and five of uh, 17 overall. It was not a great shooting night for Brandon Miller, only 19 points. And yet, they beat Maryland 73-51. to So if they're going to just be a machine without their best player playing well, you have to figure at some point Brandon Miller gets it together, then yeah, they're the favorite.
1: Yeah. I think I can talk myself in. Here's the one thing is like we saw what Houston really is yesterday in the second half. We saw them go out and beat the brakes off of Auburn. They they outscore Auburn. This Houston team down 10 at halftime. And you're thinking, uh uh-oh, Auburn playing a a quasi-home game in Birmingham against Houston. And they're out to a double-digit lead at the half. You're not feeling very good as as a Houston backer. You and I both have Houston as, as our champions right now. You're not feeling great, and then what do they do? They outscore Auburn 50-23 to 23 in the final 20 minutes of the game, blow the brakes off of them, and if that is the Houston team that we're getting for the rest of the tournament, there's no one that's stopping this Houston team.
2: Well, I think they opened the second half on, what, a 14-2 run, 16-2 run, something like that. Mm-hmm. You could feel... The instant that second half started, Houston was working the rebounds. Houston just asserted themselves as, yeah, we're in a bad spot, and this is kind of a pseudo-road game for us, right. but we're better than
1: you, and, and we're going to prove it. Too. Yeah, like, it, was it, was, it was 41-31 at the half, and I remember just kind of turning my head for a little bit, and all of a sudden it was like 43-39. I'm like, whoa, they closed the gap real quickly there, and they put together a, a hell of a stretch in that second half. To, to move them through to the second weekend. And to be honest, in, in the region that Houston is in right now, that this second-round game against Auburn scared me the most because it was almost a road game for Houston. You look at the rest of the, that region that, that Houston is a part of here, like Texas, we can have a conversation about Texas, and, and they've been really strong, I think, to to open up this tournament. But a lot of the remaining teams that currently sit in the Midwest region – Don't strike a lot of fear in me as a Houston fan.
2: Yeah, I think something that you're looking at, especially with Houston and Alabama, the two one-seeds left in this tournament, if they make the Final Four, neither of them will have to face a one-seed. If you're Alabama, you're not going to have to face a seed higher than three for the rest of the tournament until the national title. Like Unless Marquette happens to get through Uh uh, to the Final Four over there, but Like That's where part of this really lies, is the best competition that either of these two teams could face has already been eliminated. Kansas is gone. Whether you think they were better than UConn or not is Mm -hmm. a different conversation. But based on seeding, the best teams that Alabama or Houston could have seen have already been eliminated. That's huge for both of those teams.
1: Path means so much. Like Who knows? Maybe we'll see Alabama face off against a a 15th-seeded Princeton. To go to the final four. Who knows? I mean, and that's assuming they get by San Diego State. And San Diego State, what they've done defensively, has been very impressive to me as well. But you're going up against some some pros now. Like, San Diego State has not gone up against pros yet. They beat Charleston, and they beat Furman. And again, that's where path matters, right? Your path matters. Now San Diego State is running into a significantly better team in Alabama. These paths can be so fickle at times, and they can also be very, very sweet As well, and I think you're seeing San Diego State get get some of that here early on. But um, can we also, like, we've talked a lot about where teams could trip up, thinking Mm -hmm. Houston had a chance to
2: trip up against Alabama or uh, against Auburn. Doesn't SDSU feel like that team for Alabama, like a little bit to me? San Diego State's defensive-minded teams, but they've also they've been scoring the hell out of the ball too. Like they seventy-five fifty-two over Furman. I get it's Mm -hmm. Furman. The Charleston win it got dicey, but they covered a spread nobody thought they were going to cover. So I don't want to hear they didn't beat them by enough because everybody was on Charleston, and San Diego State went out one and covered a spread. Then they go dominate Furman. They've, to me, been one of the more impressive teams in this tournament because a lot of people thought they were going to be a one-and-done. Here they
1: are going to the Sweet 16 and a five-point dog against Alabama. Yeah. I mean, and you look at the, the scoring, too. Like, 63 for San Diego State is like another team scoring 70 just because of the pace they play at the defensive minded team that they are scoring 75 against Furman is like scoring 80 85 points yeah that's just because of the They're pace Virginia that they play. West yes exactly yeah. which partially was why I thought Furman actually would have had a chance against San Diego State is they play the same exact pack line defense as Virginia so Furman your game planning for your round one and round two games were pretty much the same and they didn't even get off the bus in the second game. And that's a credit, I think, to San Diego State and just how good they truly have been in this tournament so far.
2: It's also a little bit of Furman had no business beating Virginia. If we're going to just go back and recap that game for a minute, Mm -hmm. it took
1: Virginia
2: uh, peeing down their leg, for lack of a better term, blowing a huge lead. And
1: then maybe the dumbest decision I've ever seen watching a tournament game. It's probably the dumbest thing we've seen in a tournament game since the Weber timeout.
2: I would say yeah, that's probably true. I mean, you uh it remind me of the guy's name it's escaping me. KA Clark. KA Clark in his own half trapped with a timeout throws the ball up the Which, floor.
1: Baseball pass, no thank
2: you. Never <laughs> works. You have a timeout in your pocket and you're trapped and you decide rather than use the timeout, nope, brains out the window. Let me toss this up the floor. Furman intercepts it because, of course, they do. Wide open for a three, money, and you go home. Like, yeah. that's that's as dumb as not fouling up three. That's <laughs> one of the
1: dumbest decisions I've ever seen in my life watching this tournament. Which, it's funny because Kihei Clark now has one of the greatest passes in Virginia history and also one of the worst passes in Virginia history. He was the one that pushed the ball up the floor and, to get it to Diakite for the floater against uh, Purdue in that Elite Eight game to, to help send Virginia to the Final Four. Without that pass, Virginia does not get to the Final Four and ultimately does not win that national championship in that redemption season. So it's crazy to see how all of this sort of split at the seams For Kihei Clark. He was, I believe he was a freshman on that team, too. He's a freshman when he made that pass, and he's a senior, a redshirt senior, when he makes the dumbest pass. The experience didn't help him out there. Exactly. All right. I do want to have a a larger conversation here about Purdue, because we have to start talking about Matt Painter. Is he the right fit at (laughs) Purdue? after they lose to Fairleigh Dickinson in the biggest upset in tournament history. What do you think? Purdue fans, ring us up. 312-332-3776 if you are done with Matt Painter as your head basketball coach after Purdue loses to a 16 seed in dramatic fashion. We'll take all your calls, and we will break down our thoughts on Matt Painter. Coming up next, Tyler Rocky Shay Norling. This is Basketball U.
3: This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago.
0: This is Basketball Youth.
3: This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago, on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000.
1: Here on ESPN 1000, Tyler Rocky and Shay Norling. Every single Sunday of the NCAA tournament, we're with you from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we've got one game already underway right now as Xavier with an early 30 to 23 lead on Pitts, Kentucky, Kansas State coming your way at 140 to tip off the second round uh, the second day of the second round of the NCAA tournament all right so Purdue bows out they are the losers of the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history a 23 and a half point favorite against the Fairleigh Dickinson Knights and as a one sixteen, you enter that club now, right? Like you, you saw all the UMBC tweets, right? Of the the Bart Simpson throwing the, the frisbee to himself, and now he's finally got some company uh, to to play with here because we have seen another one seed go down, and with Purdue, this now is starting to beg the question because Matt Painter, his last three tournament exits <laughs> have come against a sixteen seed, a fifteen seed, and a thirteen seed. Is it time for Matt Painter to be out at Purdue? Two straight
2: tournament losses. You mentioned last year as a 15 seed uh, or as a uh, three seed, losing to 15 seeded Mm -hmm. St. Peter's in this uh, Sweet 16. So at least you made the second weekend, but you were 12 and a half point favorite against St. Peter's, and you had a lottery pick on your team, a top five pick, yeah, in uh, Ivy, and you lost that game. Now with Zach Eadie, who's maybe going to be the player of the year, you lose in the first round to Fairleigh Dickinson, a team that we've talked at length, should not have been there. Lost to the NEC title game to Merrimack. The only reason Merrimack's not there in their place, Merrimack's transitioning to Division One and isn't eligible to go to the NCAA tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson quite literally should not have been in this tournament, and they beat Purdue. Matt Painter, like, won elite eight
1: in his career. And that, like... Did Matt Painter bring him to the Elite Eight, or did uh, did Carson Edwards bring him to the Elite yeah, Eight? Carson Edwards. Like, with that was an unconscious run from Carson Edwards. Four too.
2: games where he just shot the lights out. He turned himself. People forget this. He turned himself yes. into an NBA draft pick. He pulled the Kemba Walker.
1: He was not going to
2: get picked, and then he turns himself into a draft pick with a tournament run where he's on mega usage. And obviously, we always talk about in March, you need a guard to lead mm-hmm. your team. They ran through that guard, mega usage, hitting big shots. They didn't have that on this team, but you have Zach Eady, and you go out to Fairley Digginson. I don't think either of us believed in Purdue. I didn't think they'd lose like this. And that's where you start to look at Matt Painter having the one Elite Eight on his record. I think he's 17 and 14 all-time in tournament games. He's made the second weekend three times. Do you really believe that this is a guy who you can keep going forward with like what's the goal at purdue is the goal to make the second weekend is the goal to win a tournament game or is the goal to make a final
1: four and eventually win a national championship i mean this is a program that needs to start getting back to final fours right like you you look at what has sort of happened with with matt painter and, and here's the thing like with painter it's been consistent in terms of a great regular season like they they've been to the tournament now was this three six eight straight seasons eight straight years that's a good run there and seven of those eight seasons you've been a five seed or better and that should not be discounted here. I think there is something to that but it's also something when you see the it's the same reason we criticize Shaka Smart right? It's the lack of tournament success that I think is really starting to to anger a lot of these Purdue fans, and it may be time to go with Matt Painter.
2: Yeah, I think that's like, I mean, it's something I've talked about with Tom Izzo, it's something you've talked about with uh, Jim Beheim, and Jim Beheim's finally gone. Mm-hmm. But it's like the for Izzo making. I, making it out of the second weekend once in seven years, that's not good enough In Michigan State. You have to be able to do better than that. And if you're not doing better than that, then maybe it's time to have a conversation because it doesn't feel like you're the guy who's going to get us over the hump, get us to another Final Four, get us to a national title. Maybe he does it this year and all of that's canceled. I don't have to talk about that anymore. But if he loses today, it's the same conversation. And that's my team. So when I'm talking about Purdue, it's the same deal. Matt Painter consistently making his way out of the tournament way earlier than he should. At some point, we got to have a conversation about if this is a guy who's capable of taking this team where they need to go. And right now it doesn't look like he is.
1: 3123323776. The question on the table is should Matt Painter be back at Purdue. Now, here's the other thing. We see this all the time in college athletics like just like being a professor at these universities at a time you hit a certain level of tenure, right? And Matt Painter has now been at Purdue for 18 years. 18 years at Purdue University. He's had team, and he's only missed the tournament twice. Or three times, I take that back. Three times he's missed the tournament at Purdue. One of them was the first year he was there. You give a pass. Of course, there. Um, when you're especially when you're taking over for a legend in Gene Katie who didn't leave the program in great hands either. I mean, the the seven and twenty-one record that he inherited from the year before, and now Painter steps in and he has rebuilt the program back up to what it was under under Gene Katie. But there is something to be said about these you have to now hit a next level of success. And with Matt Painter right now, he's just not getting there. And it's not like he hasn't had NBA guys on his team. He's had NBA guys. He's had college basketball legends on his team. He's he's had players of the year. He had one this year. Um, Robbie Hummel is an all-time college basketball legend as well. Like, And he hasn't had that level of success. He had like, a top-five pick in the draft a year ago. He lost his 12-and-a-half-point no favorite to St. Peter's. on yeah. his roster, by the way. Like, Jaden Ivy should have been at Notre Dame. His mother was the head basketball coach of the women's program. And the fact that Jaden Ivey was not on the, the Notre Dame roster is kind of crazy to to think of. So, I mean, it, it, that's
2: just where I start to look at it and go, if you've got the talent, if you've got the player of the year, like this year was Zach Eady, who I think, honestly, probably mismanaged because the usage was so high. Every yes. single trip down the floor was an Eady post-up. Uh, the minutes were astronomical. I think it's fair to question if he used Edie correctly. And, I mean, that's tough because, obviously, if you're going up against the shortest Division One team, you're going to try to run through the guy they can't touch on the floor. But Purdue wasn't even able to rebound. Like, they didn't right. do things that you would expect them to do well against a team like that. I just start to
1: think Painter's probably not the way. Here's what I would do if I'm Purdue. I'm letting him ride out these freshman guards. Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith. I'm giving Painter that runway. If he can't get it done when these guards are juniors and seniors, that's an indictment on you because you've got a stellar backcourt for the future with those two guys. And those could be two guys that end up being like classic college basketball guards who just stick around for a long time and ultimately they have success just because they are experienced guys there. I'm letting him ride out these two guards – and if things have not changed and you're not getting to a final four under Painter, that that's where I, I'm cutting the leash off right there. Dave's in Gold Coast. What's up, Dave?
0: Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. What's good, Dave? Hey well, listen, I'm from Indy and I've I've got to question your guys' stance on Purdue basketball. Okay, first things first, like do you realize ninety eight percent of the Purdue fan base doesn't want Painter to go anywhere? Because they're they're literally only relevant because of what he's bringing to to the program, which is people that won't go to IU. In the state, you, you do realize this, right? Like, he gets, like, B and C tier type players. Yeah, the backcourt you're talking about, yes, there's studs, but they also weren't good enough to go to IU. So let's just make that crystal clear, right? And then you guys talk about Purdue getting back to Final Fours. Like, what are you guys talking about?
2: They went to the Elite Eight with Gene Cady. Dave, that's what I'm. But are you complacent with that? Then that was my question, Dave. Like, what's the goal? Is the goal just to
0: listen? I'm not a Purdue fan. I'm an IU basketball fan. I'm just telling you guys: be realistic about Purdue and where they rank in the state of Indiana. You realize they're fourth in talk radio. It goes Colts, IU basketball. Why why does that
2: matter? Michigan State's probably fifth in talk radio. And and I I heard you
0: talk about Michigan State. Are you delusional? What Tom Izzo has done for the program. I'm a state something. fan Dave it, no I'm it, not it,
2: delusional
0: it, what it, are you Tommy's talking about you basketball would love to have Tommys over the last I bet that years. you would. Know yeah, but Dave
2: the point like, of making out of your ass
0: man Dave, the point of
2: making is he's made it out of the second weekend once in seven years the expectations are bigger than that like Purdue fans probably don't want to keep losing to 13 15 and 16 seeds. Question our knowledge about this. I think we did a pretty decent job of laying this
1: out. What are you talking states. about, Dave? 49 states, it's just basketball. I love it.
2: Yeah, I love right. It. Like, what are we doing here? Because they're fourth in talk radio. Like, I care. Like, yes, I bet that every school everywhere would like to have Tom Izzo's tenure at Michigan State. I would like to have it from 20 years ago. I don't want the last seven years. My expectations are higher than that. That's the point. Purdue's expectations should be higher than what
1: Matt Painter's given them. It's not and even, if they're not, then that's on the fans. It's not even that they should be higher. Like It's just the last three years of what's transpired at Purdue, of you lose to a 13, a 15, and now a 16 seed. That That's a problem. And the one consistent layer to all of that is who the head coach has been. That's the problem. It's not that he can't get recruits. I don't care if you can't get recruits as a coach. I really don't care. Because if you're a good enough coach and you get guys to stay in your program three, four years, you make it work, right? But if when you get to the tournament and you have, to, you have the player of the year on the other side, you've got a, a team that does not have a single player over six foot six, and you've got a seven foot four monster out there who is the national player of the year and you lose in the biggest upset in tournament history. That's what the problem is. It's the problem is losing to the 16, 15, and 13 seed. It's not the recruiting. It's not the, the lack of of getting to the Final Fours, per se. It's the fact that we've now seen an established track record over the last three years of losing to far inferior teams when you've had good players on
2: your roster. There's a reason why we say January, February, Perdon't. And, like... I think if you're a Purdue fan, you probably don't want to say that anymore. Yeah, three
1: one two three three two three seven seven six. All right, we're fired. We fired up the Purdue fans. Love it. We'll take more of your calls when we come back. Tyler, Rocky, Shane, Norling. This is Basketball. You.
3: This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports.
0: This is Basketball U.
3: This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN
1: 1000. All right, we've fired up Coiler Nation now. We've got, we've, we fired them up. So let's head on out to West Lafayette where we find Steve. Steve, what's going on? You're on Basketball U with Tyler Aki and Shane Norling.
4: Hey, guys, just uh, cruising down the road and I uh, turned the radio on. and just thought I'd get in with my little tidbit. Been down here. Well, I've been a Boiler fan for uh, since the 70s.
1: Love it. And All right. So you've seen a Final hole. Four.
4: Yeah, actually, I was there in Indianapolis in 1980 with Joe Barry Carroll.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. All right.
4: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where well, I'm going with this whole story, um, just a little tidbit. Purdue, I mean, to piggyback on what the the other caller said, I agree with him, but I don't disagree with him. I mean, I'm a Purdue fan, but I'm not a Purdue fan. And, you know, it's just frustrating because Purdue is never going to get rid of painters like they never would Katie. They are very content of hanging a Big Ten uh, banner in the rafters. Mm -hmm. They're, They're very content at that. And the fans are not, obviously, but I think Purdue is. And on the flip side of that, Painter is one of those guys that he caters to the big guys. I mean, look at his track record. I mean, he, right. he, he develops the big guys. We all know that. He's never had the elite guard. I mean, he doesn't develop guards at all. And it just, it's just one of those deals to where they're, they're very content on their big guy. Does he? I mean, I don't think they'll get any better down the road. I mean, the last 12 minutes of that game, their Friday night, it showed. I mean, he just kind of... He's kind of lost it. I mean, there was no X's and O's. I mean, I mean, the last 12 minutes of that game, the double bonuses and everything else, and Edie only taking like one or two shots in the last 12 minutes. I mean, he doesn't adapt at all. He's always been that way. But that's what I have to say about that. But my wife grew up a half hour. She went to Michigan State. She grew up in Michigan. So we went through the whole Judd Heatcoat tom ago era so i mean it's kind of a house divided so so to speak you know what i mean my boys are out of the house they they both play sports and and but it's kind of like our household kind of switched over to the michigan state program versus the purdue program even though we're 10 minutes from the campus
1: well go green today right stevie yeah absolutely buddy. Steve, do you root for the conference after uh after your team's eliminated
4: oh i i mean it's just one of those deals uh, I I mean, I'm not an IU fan. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that. I mean, if if Purdue gets beat, it's automatically Tom Izzo and Michigan State. The thing about Izzo, as we well know, that guy gets guards in there. Heathcote always got guards in there. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. guard after guard after guard. And, you know, it's an old cliche of guards win in the tournament,
2: which is proven. Is that a cliche, though, Stevie? I mean, if you look at Purdue, it feels like it's getting true.
4: Okay, maybe that's not the right word I guess I should have used. But, I mean, it, it's a given. It's a proven fact, that Painter does not do that. Painter is very content of getting his Indiana high school boys in there that nobody else wants.
1: And, and listen, like I think the, the future for Purdue is very bright, Steve. I really do. I, I oh, love yeah. Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer. Like, if those guys hang around and, and don't transfer out of the program. That's the fear, right? Like, that That is, for the next three years, this Purdue program is set up pretty nicely.
4: I understand that, and you're right. I mean, but I don't, I don't see them boys. But you never know. I mean, it, nobody can predict the future. But I know he's got, he's got some boys coming in, you know, down the road. It's going to help it. But uh, anyway, that being said, go green today and uh, hope we go to the final four and kick some butt.
1: Thanks, Steve. It, Steve. Thanks for checking in. That's Steve in West Lafayette. All right, we we've reached. Uh, we we've dropped the pin in West Lafayette. Love How about it. that, um, Aaron's in Willowbrook. What's up, Aaron?
5: Hey, fellas, how you doing? Uh, yeah, just want to weigh in. I went to Purdue, um, you know, about twenty years ago, and I've been a huge Purdue fan. And basically, you can sum up Purdue is, you know, everyone kind of knows this now, but they get the big guy, they do great in the regular season, um, and and then they kind of drop the ball, so to speak, in March, and that's just kind of been their mo for the last twenty years or so. Um, having said all that I, I realize it's kind of an overreaction sunday but um you know the thing is is they, they this is a consistent pattern you know this is not nothing new and honestly i have no problem with uh, with painters recruiting approach i mean he gets the big guys i think i know i know this key to success is guard play a lot of times in in march but um, I, I think they can land some of those guys, but I honestly I think some of it some of it is painters coaching and and critical uh you know, tactical uh, success in March. He, I mean, they can't handle the press this year. They they couldn't shoot outside shots. Um, it just seems like they, if, man, if they had a coach that knew what they were doing in those critical times, they could break a press. They they'd have a little bit more strategy and how to set up E D for success down low. Uh, it just seems like there are a lot of flaws in the in the coaching. And so, uh, yeah, that's basically all I had to say. Uh, I'll listen to what you guys have to say about that.
1: Yeah, and appreciate the phone call, Aaron. Uh, Here's the thing about it. I don't think it's all on Painter. Like Some of it is just the fact that Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are young. Yeah. And they, I think, are are cornerstones for the future of the program, and it will get better. Um, And they just were freshmen that made freshman mistakes. And I think that— Missed freshman shots. They didn't shoot well from three, Purdue. Yes. Um, But I think that's one of those things where, all right— Give it a year or two, and that gets better. Listen, I, I'm bullish on Purdue for the long run here, but at the same time, I, I'm open to acknowledging what is a glaring issue with this program right now, and it's it's losing to some of these very poorly seeded teams in the tournament. And if if it doesn't get better, you got to start to look at the head coach there because uh, like the tournament and the consistent tournament uh, getting into the tournament is nice, right? It's nice to have that that cushy kind of thing you can fall back on every single year. But eventually, if you just get content with that, the game passes you by.
2: Well, this is what I keep talking about because Izzo's made 25 straight. Mm -hmm. And this comes back to why I hold Matt Painter as accountable as I do. Izzo's made 25 straight tournaments. Seven Final Fours. There's 360 schools that would love that to be the case at their school. Mm -hmm. But when you only win one national title... I'm wired a little different, Tyler. That's yeah. not enough for me. That's right. why
1: I hold Boehner so accountable. 312-332-3776. Basketball U will be back in two minutes.
3: ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000.